0: Yeah,
1: you heard the story about the elderly missionary couple who were returning to their native country after their final term of service in the foreign land. And on the same flight was a well-known politician. And when the plane landed at the airport, a noisy group of reporters and photographers and well-wishers and constituents, they were there to greet the politician. But you know what? No one was there to greet these missionaries. And the woman turned to her husband and sadly asked, Why isn't anyone here to greet us? And that wise husband and veteran missionary embraced his wife, looked toward heaven and said these words, "Hun, we are not home yet. We are not home yet. And beloved, that is true for every child of God. We are not home yet. Heaven is our home. But sad to say... It appears that many Christians have little knowledge of their heavenly home. And sadder yet, it seems that some have drastically distorted views and beliefs when it, concerning, uh, when it concerns heaven. In fact, some even dread going to heaven. Can you imagine that? As you may know, a group of us gathered and we recently finished a Wednesday night study uh, on, the, on the subject of heaven. Uh, based upon a book by the same title by Randy Alcorn. And we spent seven weeks studying in-depth heaven. And really, we barely scratched the surface in some regards. But I think all of us were shocked, uh, equally shocked, by the opening words uh, in that workbook on day one of our study. I want you to listen to the opening words of our study, day one, week one. Here's what Randy Alcorn wrote. Many people find no joy at all when they think about heaven. A pastor once confessed to me, and I quote, whenever I think about heaven, it makes me depressed. I'd rather just cease to exist when I die. I can't stand the thought of that endless tedium to float around in the clouds with nothing to do but strum a harp. It's all so terribly boring. Heaven doesn't sound much better than hell. I'd rather be annihilated than spend eternity in a place like that, End quote. Now think about what he said, beloved, and that was a pastor that gave that testimony. Now it's obvious that he had not read and studied his Bible. In fact, perhaps he spent his time reading uh, the old comic strip, The Far Side. Uh, maybe you were a big fan of The Far Side comic strip uh, drawn many years by Gary Larson. If you were a fan, perhaps you remember this particular uh, cartoon, which you can even get on a coffee mug. And I know you can't probably read that back there, but you see the man sitting on the cloud. And the caption says, I wish I brought a magazine. I wish I brought a magazine. Now, this kind of thinking is so wrong on so many levels. I know it's a comic strip, but I think many people believe that's what heaven's going to be like. Heaven's going to be some endless, boring tedium that never ends. But beloved, it's actually going to be a joyful, eternal existence that is beyond our wildest imagination. In fact, it was the old Puritan, Thomas Boston, who said, Believers will swim forever. In an ocean of joy. Now, boys and girls, not literally, but figuratively speaking, it's an endless on and on and on and on and on. Joy! An ocean of joy forever and ever. And we get a glimpse of some of that joy that awaits us in our passage today in Revelation chapter 21. So if you've got it there in your Bible, we'll be reading in just a moment. Revelation 21, we'll go just a bit into chapter 22 as we're on our next to the last study in the book of Revelation for this particular sermon series. Now, I'll be honest, we spent seven weeks studying heaven. We had homework in between our gatherings here and we had a long way to go. So this morning, really, I could just kind of get us into the subject and I won't be able to fully cover it. But I want you to know we didn't answer every question in that particular study. In fact, I think those who were in this study would probably agree We may have left the study with more questions than we have when we started the study. Because there's so much when you think about heaven. But if we can catch a glimpse of the glory of heaven and the glory of our great God, uh, I think we can do that if we'll pay attention to what the scripture says here. And I want to read through this passage uh, today. And I want to read a little bit uh, more slowly than maybe I normally do. And, And I want you to do more than just hear the sentences and hear the words. I want you to sense the emotion. And I want you to sense the excitement and I want you to sense the wonder uh, as John writes here in the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to begin reading at Revelation 21, verse one, and I want you to follow along in your copy of God's word as I read. And I want you to catch the emotion, the wonder, the excitement and the glory that we read about here. Revelation 21, verse one. Now, I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. from their eyes, there shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things do. And he said to me, Right, for these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega. The beginning and the end. I will give of the fount of the water of life freely to him who thirst. He who overcomes shall inherit all things. And I will be his God. And he shall be my son. But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls filled with the seven last plagues came to me and talked with me, saying, come, I will show you the bride, the lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. Her light was like a most precious stone, like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. Also, she had a great and high wall with 12 gates and 12 angels at the 12 gates and the names written on them, which are the names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel, three gates on the east and three gates on the north and three gates on the south and three gates on the west. Now, the wall of the city had 12 foundations and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And he who talked with me had a gold reed to measure the city, its gates, and its wall. The city is laid out as a square. Its length is as great as its breadth. And he measured the city with the reed. Twelve thousand furlongs. Its length, breadth, and height are equal. Then he measured its wall, 144 cubics, according to the measure of a man, that is, of an angel. The, the construction of its wall was of jasper, and the city was pure gold like clear got glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with all kinds of precious stones. The first foundation was jasper, the second, sapphire, the third, chalcedony, the fourth, emerald, the fifth, sardonyx, the sixth, sardius, the seventh, chrysolite, the eighth, beryl, the ninth, topaz. The 10th, Chrysophrase, the 11th, jacinth, and the 12th, Amethyst, that the 12 gates were 12 pearls. Each individual gate was of one pearl and the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. But I saw no temple in it for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city had no need of the sun or of the moon to shine in it for the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light. And the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light. And the kings of the earth bring their glory and honor into it. Its gates shall not be shut at all by day. There shall be no night there. And they shall bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it. But there shall by no means enter it anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie. But only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the middle of its tree and on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore twelve fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations and there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it and his servants shall serve him. They shall see his face, and his name shall be on their foreheads. There shall be no night there. They need no lamp nor light of the sun, for the Lord God gives them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. Wow. Wow. And to think that that poor pastor we talked about a moment ago would rather be annihilated, would rather cease to exist than spending eternity in that place. I feel sorry for him. I do. I hope that Randy was able to help him as he talked with him. I want to show you three wonderful things... That God is going to do for us in this passage. But before I show you those three things, allow me to point out something that you need to get nailed down. You need to make sure you know this. You leave here knowing this. You always know this. You're always sure on this. You need to understand this great truth. And that is this. Heaven is a real place. Heaven is a real place. It's a physical, literal place. It's not just a state of mind. It's not just some ethereal, mystical something out there somewhere. It is a real place. That's why the Lord Jesus Christ said very clearly in John chapter 14, these words. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am there, you may be also. You see, beloved, so many people get confused because they don't make a distinction between the present heaven and the eternal heaven, the present heaven and the eternal heaven. Now, we know today when a believer dies, the Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And so their body remains behind and they go, their spirit goes to the present heaven. But as you see in the opening verses of chapter 21 here today, there's coming a new heaven and a new earth and a new Jerusalem. Look at the verses again, verses one and two. John says, I saw he saw this. I saw a new heaven, a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. There was no more sea. I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. So you need to understand that in the eternal heaven, there's going to be a combining of the new heaven and the new earth and the new Jerusalem. And all of that is what we would call heaven, the eternal heaven. You see, the new Jerusalem comes down out of heaven. And it will be on the new earth. Now, some scholars think it will be suspended above the earth. Some think it will be on the earth. We're not exactly sure. But this new heaven, new earth, new Jerusalem, all of this is where we're going to spend eternity in our glorified bodies. That's a glorious thing. Now, the Bible speaks about this passing away of the old heaven and the uh, older. Look at it with me. Second Peter 3, 10 through 13. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. In which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with a fervent heat, both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat? Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for what? What's it say? New heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. And so we know that this present earth and heaven and so forth is going to be passing away. And again, scholars are divided as to whether it will be total recreation or just a burning and a refreshing. But either way, it's going to be a new heaven, a new earth, no sin, no curse, none of that done away. And so as theologian Wayne Gruden put it, there will be a joining of heaven and earth in this new creation. And so you can look around today, and we're not going to be like this forever. We're going to get glorified bodies. That was weak. You wake up any. Aches and pains and stuff this morning? Man, we're going to have a glorified body. Amen. Amen. And we're going to live on our earth and heaven with no curse, no sin, no pain, no crime. None of that. It's going to be a combining of heaven and this new creation. So what we're looking for is a new heaven on the new earth with the new Jerusalem. Well, we've got to hasten on or you'll never make it to lunch today. And uh, we better go on. Now, three things God is going to give us. Three things that God is going to do for us from this passage. Are you ready for them? Number one, I want you to see here that he's going to dwell with us. He's going to dwell with us. Look at verse three again. Revelation, chapter 21, verse 3. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. Now, if you go all the way back to the first book of the Bible, you know, we're right here next to the last chapter. Go way back to the first book of the Bible in Genesis, chapter 3. We are in the Garden of Eden. And we find the Bible talks about that God came and walked and talked with Adam and Eve in the time of the evening breeze, in the cool of the day. They knew a relationship with God, a fellowship with God that we've never known before. Imagine walking and talking literally with God. And that's true in the Old Testament that God tabernacled among His people. And we find His glory in the temple we know that God is omnipresent. That means He's all present, all at the same time, all the time. So we know God is present today. We know that all true believers are indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God. If you don't have the Holy Spirit of God indwelling, you're you not a child of God. All true believers are indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God. But here, something incredible is being mentioned here. That He's going to dwell with us. We've already read that there's no temple needed. Revelation twenty one twenty two. I saw no temple in it for the Lord God Almighty and the lamb are its temple. And did you notice Revelation 22, verse four, we read? Look at Revelation 22, four again. Look at what it says. They shall see his face and his name shall be on their foreheads. You see, beloved, what makes heaven heaven is not the streets of gold and it's not the gates of pearl. And it's not all those things. What makes heaven heaven is God's presence. He will dwell with us as the hymn writer put it face to face with Christ, our Savior. Imagine seeing Jesus face to face to walk with him and talk with him. We sing about in the garden now, but imagine in that day we'll literally walk and talk with him. What a glorious thing it will be. God is going to dwell with us. Heaven is heaven because of God's presence. He's going to dwell with us. But notice secondly, he's going to comfort us, verse 4. He's going to comfort us. And by the way, when I say comfort us, I don't mean temporary comforting. I mean forever comforting us. I mean forever, eternally comforting us. Look at verse 4. Now, if you like to mark your Bible, if you like to highlight, underline I'd be surprised if this was not already highlighted and underlined. Look at verse 4. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Now, let's be honest about it. We have a hard time getting our arms wrapped around this, don't we? I mean, this is all we know. All oh, we know. We cry at birth. We cry during life. We cry at death. We know all about tears and death and sorrow and pain. I joke with our Sunday school class that we should name it the Rice Krispie class. Because right now in my life, all I do, every time I move, I snap, crackle, and pop. I mean, I get up and I snap, crackle, and pop. I mean, I understand that we're decaying and we're going down. But in that day, no more pain, no more sorrow, no more crying, no more death. And God is going to wipe away how many tears? Every tear forever. All tears. What else can I say? What else do I need to say about that? That verse preaches itself. I could have just got up this morning and read verse 4. And said, amen. Some of you say, well, I wish you'd done that, but I didn't. God's going to dwell with us. God's going to comfort us. Finally, God's going to bless us. Now, of course, that covers all of it. But to, to summarize the rest of this chapter, there's so much here. Uh, we don't have time to unpack every verse, but let me just summarize what we find in this. And hopefully whet your appetite to dig in deeper on your own. We know that those of us who trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, we're going to be satisfied. We're going to be rewarded. But it's interesting to note in this passage, uh, we're told what will be in heaven, what won't be in heaven, who will be in heaven, who won't be in heaven. So let's just summarize that together today. Let's talk, first of all, about what won't be in heaven. Look at the list there. There'll be no more sea. Verse one. Of course, we know there's no more death, sorrow, crying, pain of the curse. There's no temple. There's no sun or moon or lamps or lights because he is the light. There's no night. It's mentioned in chapter 21 and in chapter 22. And so those things will not be in heaven. But then I want you to notice who won't be in heaven. There were two verses as we read and maybe you caught. Chapter 21, verse 8 says the cowardly unbelieving, 21-8, cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. We looked at that somewhat last time. And by the way, that doesn't mean, listen, that doesn't mean that if you've ever done that, you're not going to heaven. Anybody here say you've never lied? You've never done some of these things? The idea there, beloved, is the fact that this is your life. There's been no change. This is not an occasional slip up. It's not a sin that you commit. These are people who never trusted Jesus. They've never been changed. They're lost in their sin. And they lived their lives as unbelieving and abominable. And they were cowards. They wouldn't confess Christ. And they were murderers and immoral and idolaters. They never came to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And they'll have their place to the second death. Revelation 21, 27. 21, 27. For there shall by no means enter it anything that defiles... Or cause of abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life, which reminds us of who will be in heaven. Of course, God will be there, the angelic realm will be there, and believers will be there. Those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life, verse 7, verse 27. And the real question I want to ask you today is will you be there? Will you be there? Say, so how do I get to heaven, preacher? You admit that you're a sinner. You repent, you turn away from that sin. You don't want that anymore. You believe on the Lord Jesus Christ who died for you and took your place and rose again victorious. And you confess Him as your Savior and your Lord. If you'll do that, you'll be in heaven. Your name will be written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Can you imagine for a moment if you were sitting in this service and you rejected Christ? I really believe if you die and go to the lake of fire, if you go to hell, you're going to remember this message. You're going to remember the gospel times that you heard the gospel. You're going to remember the opportunities you had to turn from your sin and place your faith in Christ. The times you rejected God's love. And and, and it's heartbreaking to think anybody here would outright reject the Lord Jesus Christ. He loves you. He died for you. He rose again for you. He wants to save you. This is what he's doing for us that know him. He wants you to have this. So I invite you, if you've never received the Lord Jesus Christ, to come by faith today. Let's talk for just a few minutes and we're done. What what will be in heaven? What will it be like? What will heaven be like? It's incredible. John's given a bird's eye view in verse nine. One of the angels comes and he says in verse nine, Come, I will show you the bride, the Lamb's wife. And he carries John up in verse ten to a great and high mountain, and he showed him that city, the new Jerusalem. And he begins talking about the city. I just want to summarize it for you this morning. We're told about an incredible light. The brightness of this city, according to verse 11, is like a clear crystal. And we're told about its walls and its gates. There are 12 gates and each gate is an attendant. And the gates had the name of the 12 tribes of Israel, according to verses 12 and 13. And each gate was a pearl. Now think about that. Each gate was a pearl. Where do you get pearls from? I'd love to see the oysters are produced. No, I'm just kidding about that. But imagine that each gate and the wall had 12 foundations with the names of the 12 apostles. And I want you to hear about the measurement of heaven. Did y'all catch the measurement? Let me bring it back to what we understand. According to most Bible scholars, when they took these measurements and put them in measurements, we understood. We're talking about a city, the New Jerusalem, that's 1500 miles across, 1500 miles deep and 1500 miles high. It's a cube, if you will. 1,500 miles in every direction. Imagine that. The first floor alone, they tell me, would measure from approximately New York to Dallas. That's just the first floor. And then on top of that, 1,500 miles, floor after floor after floor after floor, the walls, the scholars have figured out, would be about 216 feet deep. You know, we talked about in Sunday school, right? The walls of Jericho. They were nothing compared about these walls. It says the foundations were covered in precious stones. And, you know, we think asphalt's expensive. And it is. I mean, we just... Re- Resurface. We got we got the bid on redoing it. And we all fainted. We said, well, can we just patch it? It's expensive. What do they pay? The streets of gold. Streets of gold. Gold. Think about that. Clear, crystal gold. That's what they paid the roads with. There's a pure river of water flowing from the throne of God. We sang about that this morning, didn't we? 22, verse 2. In the middle of its street and on either side of the river was the tree of life which bore twelve fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. You remember Adam and Eve couldn't eat of the tree of life, remember? They ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and then God put them out of the garden and he guarded, lest they eat of the tree of life and live forever. What it says here, we get to eat of the tree of life forever. Think about that. Glorious things here. How wonderful of it! We can't fully comprehend it. But then look at what it says about us. Three things are mentioned in particular about the residence of this wonderful place. Look at chapter 22, beginning at verse 3. Here's what it says about us. If we know the Lord Jesus, we're resident here. 22, verse 3. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and the Lamb shall be in it. What's the next part say? And his servants shall serve him. Verse 4. They shall see his face. His name shall be on their foreheads. Verse 5. There shall be no night there. They need no night or light of the sun. for The Lord God gives them uh, light and they shall reign forever and ever. Did you notice what's going to happen with us? It says there, we're going to serve him. We're going to see him and we're going to reign for him. We're going to serve him, see him and reign for him. How do we get our arms wrapped around this? You think that's why First Corinthians 2, 9 says this. But as it is written, I has not seen. Nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. Can I just say to you, Christian, if you're a child of God this morning, can I just say to you, and I want you to get this down. I want you to understand this. I want you to take this with you today. The best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. Christian, I want you to picture in your mind the very best day. Take away all the limits, all the financial limits, the time limits. Picture the very best day of your life. If you could design it from the time you got up to the time you go to bed, think about the very best day of your life. Think about that for a moment. Have you got something? The very best day of your life. Does anything come to mind? You got something? Some of you are sleeping, you're dreaming. Now listen, on your very best day, you got it? It doesn't hold a candle to what is coming for us. The best is yet to come. All these truths we read today. You say, well, I don't know if I can grasp all this. You don't have to grasp it all. But it should encourage you. I don't grasp it all either. It should encourage you in your day-to-day walk for Christ. This should motivate our evangelism to realize what God is preparing for those who trust him. It should fuel our love and our service to realize just how great our God is and what he has in store for us. And it should encourage us, beloved. Not only on our best days. But especially on our worst days. Those days that are filled with sorrow and crying and pain and death He realized the best is yet to come. It was 1952. Young Florence Chadwick stepped into the waters uh, of the Pacific Ocean off of Catalina Island. And she was determined to swim to the shore of mainland California. Now she had already been the first woman to swim the English Channel both ways. Now, this particular swim from the Pacific Ocean off Catalina Island to mainland California, the weather was foggy. It was chilly. She could hardly see the boats that were with her. And she swam for 15 hours. Now, think about that. 15 hours swimming in the ocean. She was begging her mother, who was in a boat alongside her, begging her to to take her out of the water. But her mother told her, you know, you're close. You can make it. She's encouraging her. And so she swims and swims and swims. And finally, she could go no more. And they pulled her out of the water. Now, when she got on the boat, she discovered that the shore was less than a half mile away. They had a news conference the next day. And at the news conference, I want you to hear what she said. She said, all I could see was the fog. I think if I could have seen the shore, I would have made it. Doesn't that describe us so many times? As we journey in our walk with Christ in our daily life, we're kind of lost in the fog. And we can't quite see clearly. We know where we're headed as believers. We know what God is doing for us. We understand what Christ said is waiting for us, but we're kind of lost in the fog. But, dear Christian, can I encourage you? Can, can, you, can you see the shore this morning? Do you understand that, that heaven is waiting? Do you understand that, that we're closer than we've ever been before? Do you understand that the best is yet to come? Do you remember those words? The Lord Jesus said what? Let not your heart be troubled. You had those days of sorrow and pain and crying and death. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. I go and prepare a place for you. For you. And if I go, Jesus says, prepare a place for you. I will come again to receive you unto myself. That where I am, Jesus says, you may be also. Jesus, I want you with me. And so, beloved, I want to encourage you in the fog of life to remember that the best is yet to come. Hang in there. Don't give up hope. Don't grow weary in well-doing. Keep going forth. The fog will soon lift and will soon be home. Beloved, the best is yet to come. Hallelujah. Even so, God. Lord Jesus I wish I was a Pentecostal right now. I'd have a shouting fit right now. But some of you would go to heaven immediately if I did that from a heart attack. Father, thank you for the promise of heaven. Thank you, Lord Jesus, you're preparing a place for us. Oh, you are the master carpenter. We can't wait to see your handiwork. Father, I pray if anybody here is not going to heaven, that your Holy Spirit would convict them right now and help them to turn to Christ. And then, Lord, for those of us who are headed to heaven, I pray that you would help us to hang on to this truth. As Jesus reminded us, not to let our heart be troubled, but to remember that the best is yet to come. That he's coming again to receive us unto himself. Thank you, Father, for this glimpse of your glory. We pray this in Jesus name. Amen. If you don't know Jesus today, can I invite you to meet him? We're going to sing in closing 515. There's a land that is fairer than day. And by faith, we can see it afar. And I'm going to be out the front here. If you need to trust Jesus today, whether you've been here the first time, a thousand times your whole life, if you've never received the Lord Jesus Christ, would you come and allow us to take a Bible and lead you to Christ today? And that if you do know Christ, perhaps you want to come. Maybe you want to get refocused today upon what really matters in life. The altar is open. We invite you to come and pray as well. But let's stand together and sing 515. There's a land that is fairer than day. Let's stand and sing.